hear now the word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths in our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word contains just what we need to hear. Your word contains what you want us to hear. Would you use your scripture today and would you send your spirit so that we love what you say, even if we might naturally resist what you tell us? Speak to us so that we hear your word, that we might live peaceful, godly, dignified, quiet lives in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How do you feel about the government? Boy, there's a soul-touching question, right? Uh, for, for most people, you do not have to ask, right? Get uh, very far into a conversation with most people, they will let you know. The subject will inevitably come up. Um, especially in the last couple of years, it feels like the government has taken a very prominent place in our lives, whether we like it or not, more than we probably ever wanted. And I think for, for many Christians, they do not have warm feelings, soul-stirring feelings toward the government. Um, I think as a consequence, though, that means that very few of us have any impulse to pray for the government, which is very much what Paul uh, is bringing us to today. You know, it's interesting to me that Paul has to say what he says in the text. Uh, I suspect, if, if I had to guess, Christians have always had a very powerful love-hate relationship with the government, right? Right? The thing that strikes me is that Scripture usually gives us instruction on things that we need instruction on. Uh, God tends to tell us things. He tends to warn us about things that are actual live issues for us. So we've been reading through Proverbs in the mornings. And one of the things that have just been coming up repeatedly in Proverbs is this warning about sexual temptation. Why does Proverbs do that? It does that because there's a such thing as sexual temptation. Um, Paul warns us against unbelief. Why does he do that? He does it because there is a such thing as temptation to unbelief. Uh, Paul exhorts us to give cheerfully. And he does that precisely because we are tempted not to give cheerfully, right? Scripture tells us things that we actually need. It tells us things that God knows that we need to hear. Things that we instinctively don't veer towards. Well, I, I think Paul tells us to pray for the government (laughs) precisely because in our hearts, you and I probably don't want to. Um, I think he's addressing a very basic impulse here when he gives this command. But, But think about this. All of this is couched in this bigger issue. It's this bigger issue of prayer. Um, How to pray, why to pray, what to pray for. So before we get to that, think about the shift of focus that this text this verse this morning represents. I, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we were in First Timothy, so I want to refresh you on where we've been in the book. Uh, up until this point, Paul has been focused on these false teachers uh, in Ephesus that Timothy's going to have to deal with, that he has to jockey with. 
But now what Paul does is instead of saying, hey, refute these false teachers, make sure to deal with this error, he gets constructive now. Now he's getting positive here. He has this larger constructive project going on. And so his plan is to show Timothy how to positively live these things out. Um, not just talk against people, not just talking against his opponents. You know, it's very hard to grow when all you're doing is focusing on errors all around you, when all you're doing is sort of living a negative life where you're saying, this person's wrong, this person's wrong, their view is wrong over there. And what are you left with by the end? You end up left, if you're not constructive, and if you do not have an actual vital growing relationship with God and an understanding of who he is, all you're going to be is Mr. Negative. But who are you really? Who, is, who does God intend you to be? Who does, who does God intend Timothy to be? And who does this church need to become? Well, that's what, what Paul is actually doing here. He's helping Timothy to forge ahead and labor toward what God has for us. He doesn't want him to just constantly be sending him off in the negative direction. And so Paul leads off by saying, first of all, he leads off with first of all here because he is changing. This is a change of tone. This is a a change of, of attitude now. And he says, let's move on to what you really need, Timothy, what this church in Ephesus that you're ministering to actually needs. He says, let's talk about the Christian life. What does it look like to live the Christian life And to spur a church toward that as well. And so he says, as a consequence, we need to talk about prayer and the government and church government. Again, not the sort of things that you would think of. I think instinctively, most of us would not instinctively think, you know, it would really satisfy the souls of God's people talking about the government, talking about church government. Who gets out of bed for those things in the morning? Well, besides me, who gets out of bed for those things in the mornings? Um, And so first, Paul tells Timothy that he should pray. And so I want to focus on the positive aspect of the Christian life this morning that that Paul is urging Timothy toward under these three headings. Uh, First, the urgency of prayer. Uh, Second, the subject of prayer. And then third, the goal of prayer. All we're dealing with is these two verses here, but there's actually a lot jam-packed into the text. Um, First, Paul mentions the urgency of prayer. He he urges prayer in verse 1. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about speaking to God. He's talking about expressing the thanks and the needs of of our heart and the needs of others. Coming to God and saying, I know you are the God of the universe and we are just your creatures. That's what we're doing when we pray. Prayer. He doesn't just say, look, this is what Christians do, so this is a good idea for you as well. He says, I urge you to do this. I urge you to do this. Christians pray for a reason. You need prayer and the world needs your prayer. Think of the other kind of things that Paul urges, right? Urging is something that Paul doesn't just throw in at his whimsy. He doesn't just urge very often. He does it a few times in his letters. In in 1 Corinthians 4, he, he says, I urge you then be imitators of me. And in Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Um, When the ship is crashing, they're about to have a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. Paul is yelling through the storm. He's speaking to these sailors and he says, I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life. Take heart. He says, I urge you to take heart. 
It's not just something that I suggest to you as sailors. You should just take heart. He says, I urge you to take heart. This is important. First uh, Thessalonians 5, he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He urges this because the church needs it. Titus 2, 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So you see how Paul uses this word. He urges things that are not optional. He is not in the habit of urging optional things. Um, These are necessary things for Christians. And you could add to that list this command where Paul, Paul urges us to pray. He says, pray with thanksgiving, right? He says, he says, pray with gratitude. Pray regaling God with your memory of all the ways that you've noticed that he's been good to you. He says, be praying thankfully to God. And then he also says, pray with intercessions, right? That is, pray on behalf of other people. Pray on behalf of people who, who can't pray for themselves, people who won't pray for themselves, uh, people who need prayer, and maybe they know it, maybe they don't know it. And in this case, he seems to clarify in particular that we ought to pray in these ways for those who are in authority over us. He's talking about the, the government. Um, do you pray with, do you pray for the government? First question. But then second of all, do you pray with thanksgiving for the government? Those are, might be two different things. If you're in the habit of imprecatory prayers with regard to the government, I think you might have to rethink whether you pray with thanksgiving for the government. Are you thankful to have a government? Are you thankful for a stable society? Are you thankful for paved roads and streetlights and for law enforcement? Now, I know all those things go out the window when there's snow on the road. Uh, but generally, are you thankful for those things? Paul says we should be. Or is your posture one of negativity and complaint? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not ignorant. I, I am a political person. I follow what's going on in the world. Maybe not as much as some people, but I know what's going on. If you wanted to get me to talk badly about the government, I have the capacity. I have that right inside of me, just waiting to come flying out for anybody to hear uh, who wants to wind me up and let me go. I'm totally capable of it. Uh, and, and maybe many of you are ready uh, at a moment's notice to, to take a complaining posture toward the government. Uh, but do you stop to think with gratitude? Most of the world would kill to have the kind of government that we live under. I, I was reflecting the other day one of, with one of our elders that the, the poorest person in America would be unwilling to live in the palace life of the ancient world. We would be unwilling to live in the palaces of the ancient world. Um, we have a better standard of living than even the kings of Israel had. Even David, at the height of his reign, did not live in the kind of comfort that we do. Right? The society, the type of government we have, is a factor in the prosperity that we enjoy. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Right. You thank God for those things. We take them for granted, I think, for the most part. Um, do you live with gratitude for the moment we are living through Paul urges us to pray he says pray with thanksgiving do you pray with thanksgiving when you think of the government if you don't just keep in mind Paul knows that you might not pray with thanksgiving for the government that's why the command is here that's why it's here in the text Um, the second Paul mentions the subjects of prayer right who are we praying for we've already gotten to it there's no mystery here he says it in verses one and two he says for all people for kings And all who are in high positions. You know, oftentimes Paul uses this phrase, all people. And he means 
uh, all kinds of people from all walks of life, right? He, he wants to make sure, in a sense, that we pray indiscriminately, that we don't just pray for our people, for our kind of people, for our favorite people, for our favorite people, whatever, whatever that might be. Uh, we're actually going to look at this all people issue in a couple of weeks. But, but why does Paul say this the way that he does? For all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. I think Paul is saying, pray for those in authority over you, even those that you wouldn't normally want to. The people you wouldn't normally want to. That's why he has to say all people, because you might pick favorites and pray only for those you like, right? There are some politicians that you like. Maybe you've got the same worldview. Maybe you have the same background. Maybe you just like their policies. These folks are easy to pray for. Lord, help them succeed. Help them get what they're trying to do, right? Pretty easy prayer. Paul is telling us also, though, to pray for someone like Nero, for example, who's an enemy of of Christians, who's no friend of God's people. And when he says, pray for all people here, he's saying, no, I'm not carving out exceptions here. He, He isn't saying, pray for all of your rulers that rule the way you want and who you like. He's saying, even pray for Nero, even the rotten pagans who don't know God and reject his truth. Pray for them too. And offer prayers of thankfulness for them. Think of the ways their actions still benefit you and still contribute to social stability and recognize God's common grace even in those things, right? Even with their flaws, what is God doing? He's blessing us through them. He's he's telling us to do this. Paul's telling us to do this because these things are not instinctive for us, right? He tells Timothy this particularly because Timothy may not be naturally inclined to thank God for his pagan overlords, right? Um, and I don't instinctively want to thank, uh, thank God or pray to God for people that I'm convinced might be sending the world off a cliff and who don't care what God thinks. And yet Paul says, the roads are paved, the lights are on, the water is running, and your children are fed. You are able to worship and tell others about Jesus. Offer prayers of thanksgiving. Offer prayers of thanksgiving. And, and look, Paul isn't ignorant. He He knows what his own government is like, right? He lived under an emperor who was worshipped as divine. They they had the imperial cult. They had temples set up in various cities around the Roman Empire, all of them dedicated to the emperor and dedicated to worshipping the emperor. And Paul has the nerve to say, are you thankful for him? Will you pray for him? For, for, For many Christians, we make it a hobby, to complain about the government, right? We think we have to say something bad about the government as often as we can, or people will think that we're happy with what's going on. But listen to what one of my favorite commentators on this book is Andreas Kostenberger. He just released a commentary this last year. I don't usually do ads for books in the middle of the sermon, but if you want a good commentary, it's, it's wonderful. But this is what he says. He says, if prayer for political rulers could be urged when an emperor as cruel as Nero was on the throne... It's difficult to imagine a scenario in which believers are exempt from this responsibility. Similar to Christians in the second half of the first century, believers today should take positive action toward those in authority, such as engaging in intercessory prayer for them, rather than taking an adversarial or antagonistic stance. Now, something does make America a little different than the Roman Empire. Uh, America is a little unique in one sense, and the sense is that we don't have a king and we don't have an emperor. 
even the president is not the equivalent of a king. This is the part where things go really into like the civics territory. Uh, and uh, uh, so hopefully this isn't boring. But think about this. We have three co-equal branches of government. All three of those branches are designed to be suspicious of the other. Right? They're all designed by human beings to say, we don't trust each other. Let's keep ourselves in check. And all three of those branches swear their allegiance to a document, not a person. So I think it's interesting. We don't, we don't have an emperor or a king in our own context in America. We have a document. Uh, we have an idea. This is what makes America so odd and interesting all at the same time. Our emperor is a document. Uh, it's one that can be changed, one that can be amended, but still it's, it's not a person. And yet under that document, the, that, the, that, pagan, uh, that paper emperor that we have, we do have leaders still. We have Congress, we have the executive branch, we have the judicial branch. We should pray for the government. We should pray for our president, even if he is not from our party, even if we didn't vote for him. Do you pray for your president or do you curse him? It is possible to criticize without cursing. Uh, there was a, a viral video a couple months ago, went out on the internet. There was a church building in Texas. People inside the church were chanting over and over again, let's go, Brandon. Now, boy, some of you may, may really treasure that. I hope you don't. Uh, but the fact that your pastor struggles to explain what let's go, Brandon, might mean, might mean, maybe means that it's not actually a suitable thing for Christians to be saying in public, right? Uh, in fact, I'm not even going to translate it. Please don't Google it. Uh, I will just be direct, though. I think Paul would, if someone explained, let's go Brandon to Paul, I think Paul would say, don't do it. I think he would say, you need to pray for Nero, right? Maybe we say it jokingly. Maybe we find the humor in it. Uh, I would encourage you not to say it. I think that's in keeping with what Paul says here. Um, Not only does it mean something profane, it's the opposite of praying for those in authority. It reflects so poorly upon us as Christians if we are willing to participate in those sort of chants. I, I don't care what you think of the president, but I do hope that you're obeying Paul and I hope that you're blessing your president and praying for him and not cursing him with vile language. We should pray for our leaders. We should pray for our president. We should pray for our Congress. We should pray for our Supreme Court. In our context, that's what it looks like. We should pray for our governor. All right, I'm done giving civics lessons. Um, but I would remind you that we are in a different cultural context than the Romans. Yet we still have the same concerns, right? Romans get up in the morning. What are they thinking? How will I eat tomorrow? Am I going to be able to travel safely from one place to another? Will I be able to raise my children up in the way that they should go, right? These basic beliefs are common to the Romans and they're common to us. These are things that people have always been concerned about. And that actually leads us to our third point. Because third, Paul mentions the goal of our prayers. He tells us, pray for the authorities that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, right? Pray that. Pray this. Pray specifically for this thing. There's a, there's a gospel orientation to this prayer. Paul's goal for the government is actually very modest. He doesn't have high expectations for the government, really. If you read what he actually says we should pray for here, it's pretty tame. Uh, he also seems to have this expectation that human beings are going to fail us, and that includes 
uh, government, but at least we can pray for this. He says, let's pray that through the instrumentality of the government that God would grant us peace, quiet, and godliness. So his expectation of the government is, is pretty low, right? And in an age when Americans seem to more and more expect more and more from the government, I think it's safe to say Paul has a very low bar. His, his bar is very low. He doesn't set his expectations way up here. He doesn't think the government's going to give us utopia. He says, what I would like is to be able to live a peaceful, quiet, godly life. He doesn't need the government to do that much. He, he almost is saying, let's pray that the government gets out of the way and preserves social peace. You know, you could put it in the language of our own day. Paul seems to be saying, pray that the government keeps the peace so we're not getting robbed left and right and pray that we have the liberty to live out our faith and take care of our families. That's, that seems to be what Paul is really saying here. Paul actually says something similar in 1 Thessalonians 4.10. Listen to this. He says, we urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um, here's what's interesting. You, if you actually took these two texts and you set them next to each other, Paul says something between these two texts. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking about our responsibility, what we're supposed to do, the life we're supposed to aspire to. And in our passage today, he's saying the government has a role to play in our ability to fulfill this responsibility. Um, he's also saying we have a responsibility. Um, the government doesn't do this alone. We are personally responsible. So, so if you aren't living a peaceful and quiet, godly life, dignified life, then you don't get to say, well, the government's supposed to make my peaceful, quiet life happen. Wrong. A functional government makes the conditions of such a life possible. The government plays a role in giving us an environment of stability in which such a life can be lived, but, but we're responsible for ourselves. We are responsible to our own, for our own role in this quiet life where we take responsibility for ourselves and our family, where we provide for our family, and we live as Christians who know that outsiders are watching us. They can see our lives. They can see the way that we live. Do you aspire to a peaceful and quiet life? Do you recognize and pray for the role the government plays in that life that Paul aspires to? Uh, I, I don't idolize our, our nation, but I also live with extreme gratitude for the nation we live in. I, I hope you do as well. I, I think Paul calls us to thankfulness in this area. He calls us to that, right? No other nation on earth has something as amazing as the First Amendment, for instance. I'm in constant amazement of it. Um, it is extraordinary. We live in a nation that with all the secularism around us, we have enshrined in law the freedom of religion. What a rarity in human history. What a rare thing. He says, pray for peace. He says, pray for stability. Uh, Andreas Kostenberger puts it this way. When he's talking about this text, he says, what Paul seeks to promote then is favorable conditions for continued gospel proclamation. In other words, what kind of ground does the gospel grow in? What kind of nation makes it so that you can go and you can tell someone about Jesus and then you can go and do it again and do it again and do it again? Right? Political instability does not make it easier to spread and share and disseminate the gospel. Um, there was something called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was understood by the church fathers to be a gift to the church. 
They said the Pax Romana was a gift to the church because it allowed hundreds of years of relatively uninterrupted spread of the gospel within Rome. There are these, there are these rare instances when, when Christians should disobey. Uh, you know, we disobey the government. And even when we disobey, though, we submit, right? When we disobey, we, we submit by facing the punishment that we receive by breaking the government's law. And we do essentially what Peter and the apostles did in the New Testament. They said we must obey God rather than men. So when God's law and man's law collide with one another, we must choose God's law every time. But you also see what what do Peter and the apostles do? They're willing to be thrown into prison after they break the law. So they submitted. They disobeyed, but they submitted, right? They, They weren't just deferential to the government to the very end. And so we have to be willing to face the punishment if we choose to disobey the government because God has a higher law. Um, That's why they're willing to be thrown into prison after they refuse to be silent. And the beautiful thing is getting thrown into prison is the best possible thing that could happen to them because then what do they get to do? They get to tell the gospel to the Philippian jailer and his whole household is saved. What a beautiful thing. If the apostles had a revolutionary mindset, surely they would have put that into action in Philippi, right? Take up arms. This is illegal. We should be able to fight. We should be able to preach the gospel. If someone's going to stop us, we're going to draw our swords. Well, they don't do anything like that. They get thrown into prison. They face the punishment. See, their priority was not a political revolution. It was gospel living wherever they found themselves. This world was not their home, so they didn't make the transformation of it their goal. Instead, they say, one more person needs to hear the gospel. One more person needs to know Jesus. It's possible that we have made this world so much our home that we don't have a pilgrim mindset anymore. Um, We should be asking God to search our heart and search our soul for this mentality of the person who has forgotten. God, am I the person who has forgotten that Christians are pilgrims and sojourners in this world? Judge for yourself, right? Am I I interpreting Paul correctly here? Am Am I twisting something that Paul has said? You know, Paul's writing in a time and I, I feel a real kinship with him, right? I, I feel like I live in a prosperous time, but I do not feel like I live under a godly government. Uh, there are some Christians in government, but I, I don't really have rose-colored glasses about the time we live in. I think Paul had an incredible tolerance for godless government because it had its advantages, right? Uh, he cared about certain things, right? There's stability around us, you know? Say what you will about a series of emperors who think that they're gods, but they sure know how to build roads and aqueducts. He says it here. What I want is for Christians to be able to live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. He says, that's what I'm looking for. Paul says, pray for peace, even in a godless culture like the Roman Empire, even in a place like Ephesus. Paul doesn't pray for the toppling of the government. You never see that hint at all. You never even see the slightest move or impulse. Instead, he's not praying for the destruction of palaces, uh, for the the imperial cults to be torn down, uh, a rising up of the people, the enthronement of some newer, better government, even though all of those things should certainly be possible. Surely you can improve upon the Roman government. But instead, Paul says, pray for peace. Even in this place, even in a godless place like Ephesus, Timothy, pray for peace. Why? It seems to be assumed by Paul that stability and peace is a friend to the spread of the gospel, even when the surrounding culture is irreligious and pagan and opposite to the Christian faith. 
I think sometimes we think so politically, we think politically first and we stop thinking like Christians first, right? This thing that we want the government to be or do, how does it impact the, the gospel? How does it impact other Christians? Is that our first thought? When the decision was made for America to pull out of Afghanistan, it started happening. And here's what I was hearing from the talking heads. Oh, what is this going to do to the president's poll numbers? What, 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 will, what impact will that have on the next election? And do you know what should have been going through our heads? What will this mean for our brothers and sisters in the Lord? What will this mean for the saints in, in Afghanistan? What does it mean for missionaries there? Generally, how many of us thought like Christians first instead of political animals? You might be uncomfortable with what I'm saying. I'm uncomfortable saying it. Um, I tend not to stray into politics unless I feel like the text is taking us there. And I think the text is bringing us here, right? This is a more direct application than I normally care for, especially when it comes to, to politics. But what I hope is you're seeing here is that what I am saying cuts across political divides and political persuasions. And, and I hope that's true because I don't consider myself a partisan. I don't think the pulpit should be a partisan place. I think everybody should get offended by what the word of God says. If, if one person just feels only affirmed and one person only feels like they're being struck, then, then we're hearing it wrong. Because the word of God has something to say to all of us and it has a way to chastise all of us. And yet Paul, Paul is the one saying, pray for your godless government that they would be used by God to bring peace and stability and freedom. Pray for those things. I think Paul is pushing us into this application here. And, and I feel him pushing me where I'm, I'm uncomfortable, right? We need to be willing to be corrected by, by, by the heart of God and the mindset that Paul is representing here. I need this correction. This is not just for some of you. I need this. He says, pray. He says, pray with thanksgiving. He says, pray with supplications. Pray with intercession. Do the thing that you do not instinctively want to do. And not only prayer for leaders in, 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 a, in a general sense, but we're going to see in the next few weeks that Paul assumes that when we pray for these leaders, we're praying for their salvation. So he's, he's not just saying pray for prosperity, but he's also praying that, we would, that this person would actually know Jesus Christ, that this person would actually know the Lord. Not just that they would lead well, but that they would know Christ crucified. We will see in, in the text in about two weeks that we should also pray for their salvation. Not that we use prayer to denounce leaders, but that we would genuinely desire their salvation and truly lift them up. God desires all kinds of people to be saved Yes, even those in authority. And so we pray to that end. Sometimes sermons end with this rallying summary that inspires and lifts our souls up. And sometimes sermons just tell us what we need to hear. <laughs> and I think that's because sometimes the text just tells us what we need to hear. And I'm not sure if praying for the government gets your spiritual gears turning. Uh, it really doesn't for me. And yet Paul says this here to us, doesn't he? He says it to us. It's, it's been brought to us. It's been given to us. See, God's word tells us what we need to hear. Uh, we need to hear this today. We need to hear this today. God gives us everything necessary for life and godliness here in his word. Now, maybe this is more of an eat your vegetables sort of a text. But if you need to hear it, then let's hear it. Let's be corrected by it. And let's respond affirmatively to what God says, right? 
Here's what he says. Christian, if you love God and if you love the gospel, then pray for your government. Pray for stability and pray for peace. Let's listen to our Lord and let's repent if we have him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are called to pray for our leaders. You command us to do so, in fact. You do not suggest it. You urge it. And so would you give us hearts that pray for their salvation? And yet would you also give us hearts that submit? It's very tempting to say that we will submit to the government if it's the way we want it to be. And yet that isn't the condition that you give to us here. Give us submissive hearts that listen truly even when your commands the buck against our instincts. In obedience, God, we do lift before you all three branches of our government, Lord, the executive, the judicial, and the legislative branch. We pray for each of them that they would govern with wisdom and understanding. We pray for the peace of our own land and that they would rule with justice and that they would be fair in how they lead. At the same time, for those who do not know you, God, we pray for their salvation, that they would truly see and savor Jesus Christ, that they would that they would apprehend not only their own sin, but the answer to their sin that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Make them good and wise leaders. Make them godly leaders. But keep fashioning us into model citizens as well, Lord, remembering that the people of this world who, who don't follow you do notice us and they see how we live and they see how we behave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.